You know, part of the sermon today is talking about how we, our mindset and how we celebrate God and the whole thing in the Old Testament. Uh, I'm going to have to hurry. I found out uh, I'm the one that they always say you preach too long. So I got to, I'm trying to, uh, I'm surprised to see so many back after Jeff preached last week. <laughs> but hey, if the Bible says that we're going to give it to you. And uh, we're a Bible-believing church, and uh, we don't skip around on the, the hard stuff. But I do, don't you appreciate that testimony? Uh, God is moving, and I think it goes along with the message today. In Deuteronomy, the 26th chapter, Moses is about to, uh, he's given the last of his instructions, and he's fixing to die at 120 years of age. And next week, they'll, we'll finish up the book of Exodus, and then we're going into Joshua. In uh, this passage in ch- chapter 26, when you enter the land of the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, you have taken possession of it and settled in it. Take some of the first fruits of the, that produce from the soil of the land of the Lord your God giving it, uh, giving you and put them in a basket. Then go to the Lord, place the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name, for his name. And will choose that place and say to the priest the office at the time, I declare, now this is a declaration. It says, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come to the land the Lord swore to our forefathers to give us. Actually in the Old Testament, they were three ties. They were the ties that when you, 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 you brought your produce and all in, you gave 10% to the, the priest. Then there was a tithe at the uh, festival. And then this is a third tithe on the third year. This was a special tithe for the needy, tithe, 10%, for the needy, for uh, widows, you know, such as that. In the New Testament, we just give out the abundance of our heart. It's a little bit different. But the, the priest shall take the basket and, uh, and, and from you, your hands, and set it, it down in front of the altar of the Lord your God, then you shall declare, my father, my father was a wandering Armenian, and he went down into Egypt with a few people and lived there and became a great nation, powerful and, and numerous. So you're, you're seeing this thing that happened. And uh, I'm going to try to speed it up a little bit from the first service. But what I picture this as is like, how many has there been to the county fair? You know the county fair, you know people bring in this gigantic... Look at here, I grew this big old watermelon. It's kind of like bragging rights, ain't it? Like, I grew this myself, this big old watermelon. Or it's a big old pumpkin. Or they, this, they've made so many jars of honey, you know. Or actually the bees did, but they harvested it and all that. But it's kind of like a bragging thing, and they get first place, second place, third place. And, it, you know, even if they don't place, they get to brag about what them and the good Lord done. So it's kind of like a neat thing. But... That is the sense. I don't think we get the sense of what these festivals were about. When you brought that basket full of stuff, you walked in like there like this. Well, look what the Lord had given me. And you made this declaration that the Lord God Almighty was the one that helped you do that. I think that's the way we would give our tithes. Look here, I'm giving my tithes to the Lord. I wouldn't even have it if the Lord didn't give it to me, give me the strength to be a part of it. But church is a time, it was a festivity, it was a, it was a happy time. Me and my wife got to go to Jerusalem, 
And we got to be there one of the, during one of the feasts. And on a Friday night, it was so neat because you saw all the stuff they did, the, all these families, big families eating together. And then when they done that, they, they, had a, they had a hoedown. They had a party. They celebrated. You stood back like, man, I kind of wish I was Jewish right now. Because, man, they're having a good time. It was, it was something to be a part of. And that's, that's the concept here is that this is an exciting time. But they had more than one declaration. They had several declarations. And, uh, and he told, tells them that they're to do this on a regular basis. They do it and it's, it's with their, all their whole soul and all their whole heart. And so they were celebrating the covenant. They were confirming the covenant. And the conclusion of it, it was like, this is, this is what God has done. We get over to the next chapter in uh, chapter 27. And here's what I want to do today. Everybody on this side over this way, from, from this right through here, where I'm at standing to, y'all going to be the left side, okay? All right, y'all say left. Uh, you, you came in and sat on that side. So everybody from here over is going to be the right side. Say right side. All right, I want you to follow in the Bible because I want you to get a picture of what Moses... Now, Moses is telling them what to do when they get in the promised land. So this is the instructions. Uh, But if you were to turn over to Joshua, I won't go there much, but Joshua, the 8th chapter, the 30th verse, then Joshua built built on Mount Ebal an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded and so over here, we're seeing Joshua do exactly what Moses told him to do over here. So in chapter 27, Moses and the elders of Israel commanded the people, keep all these commands, and I, I give you today when you cross the Jordan into the land the Lord your God has given you. Set up some large stones and uh, coat them with plaster. They took lime and they coated that, you know, lime is real white. They coated it like plaster on these stones. They had these 12 stones, and they wrote the, uh, the, the, camp, the law on those stones. Uh, when you've coated those stones, write on them all the words of the law when you have crossed over and entered the land. The Lord your God is saying, giving you the land flowing with milk and honey. Some people say, well, I wonder what the land of milk and honey was like. Somebody said, it was sticky. <laughs> Now, what it means by the, it would mean it's, it's at the height of the harvest. It's at the height of the plenty, the, the abundant. The, in other words, the grass is growing, the cows have all they can ever want to eat. It's the time that they're producing the most uh, milk. It's the time that the, uh, the bees can go out and, and, and collect all this nectar, and their honey is flowing, and the milk is flowing. It, it means it's at the right, right time uh, uh, where everything is blooming and blossoming and growing to, to its full fullness. And it's like, you know, he said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want to. He leads me beside green and pastures. It's the same concept. It's, he leads me into plenty uh, where everything is blessed. So they set up these stones. You've got to think about this time it took to do that. They set up all these stones that had all the law on it written. And so it's against that, the real white background. They wrote the law out, and they always would have these stones with the law written upon them. And then we see, he said, I want you to use stone that, not, that has not been any iron tool used upon them. Build an altar to the Lord. 
One of the reasons by this, the same way that Moses didn't get to go in the promised land, one of the reasons why is the law can bring you to Christ, but then you, the grace is what takes you into the promised land. The difference between law and grace. And so that's one of the principles. Here this altar was to be built not by hand. It was not to be built by saws and by hand. It was to be used stones that lay in the field just like God meant for them to be. And no man was to be put anything into these stones or sawed them or cut them. It was just to be the stones because they were all to be uncut. Meaning that the altar of the Lord... Uh, our, our life changed, the order of the Lord is done by grace. It's not by works. Our salvation is not by works, it's by grace. And therefore, it, it's not what we've done, it's not what we've accomplished. So that's one of the reasons why. Uh, so the Lord your God will, uh, uh, God with the field stones, offer burnt offerings unto the Lord your God. Sacrifice the fellowship or the peace offering there, eating them and rejoicing, rejoicing, rejoicing in the presence of the Lord your God. And you shall write very clearly all the words of the law on the stones you have set up. All right, so we know in Joshua he actually did this. All right, another thing they had to do in Joshua's writing when they got there, I want you to imagine in, in the Holy Land there's these mountains and there's these valleys. The floor there of the valley there is... Uh, You've heard of people being in the valley of decision. Well, in this valley, he said, I want all the priests and the Levites to be in the valley. I want you to be set up. And you know that uh, we've showed you that setup before. It's really in the shape of a cross when you have all the people there in the, in the measured like they're supposed to be. There you have the presence of God, the, uh, you know, the Shekinah glory of God. The, there was a pillar by day and a cloud by night. That's there on top of that. Plus in the uh, in the holies of holies there, there was the written uh, stones of the Ten Commandments in there. Uh, and so you have this. So in, this is the, on the floor there. You've got the witnesses uh, uh, to the word, the, the righteous word of God. You've got all these Levites, and they're the ones reading the words. Then you have the people on the left, and you've got the people on the right. So what we're going to do, he tells them what they're to do. They're to get in this valley and set up. Now, you're talking about millions of people. So you got, you know, a million or so going up that side of the mountain. you got a million or so going up there. And you've got the, all the ministry in the middle. And the ministry is reading this. And when they read it, when we start up here with uh, verse uh, 12, we're going to see that when they read it, the left side says amen. Amen means so be it. Amen means so be it, or be it unto me, O Lord. So when you have, he says, when you've crossed the Jordan, this is 27 and 12, when you've crossed the Jordan, these tribes shall stand on Mount Gezerim to bless the peoples, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Ezekiel, Joseph, Benjamin, and these tribes shall stand on Mount Ebal, y'all are Ebal over here, guys. And to pronounce the curse, Reuben, Cad, Asher, Zubalon, Dan, and Napler. So can you imagine, this is like being at a UT game. You got the main people right here in the middle, and you've got over here, you've got a whole stand of people. And it's like, you know, I wonder if they did the wave, you know, as they're going around. Okay, cut it out, we've got to get rid of it. But it was an exciting time. So when they get there, when I read this curse, everybody on the left is going to say amen when I get through with the curse, okay? Real loud, okay? 
Are, the Levites shall recite to all the people Israel in a loud voice. Number verse 15. Cursed is the man who carves an image or casts an idol, a thing detestable to the Lord, the work of the craftsman's hands, and sets them up in his secret, and sets it up in secret. And the people said, Amen. Cursed is the man who dishonors his father or mother. Then all the people said, Amen. Cursed is the man who moves his neighbor's boundary stone. Can you imagine that? God's given this land and people wanted to sneak around at night and move the marker and claim more land than theirs. And the one before that said, you know, that you're to honor, uh, you know, you're not to dishonor your father and mother. Young people, your fathers and mothers are getting you into practice. Sometimes you don't agree with your mom and dad, but you need to obey them anyway. Because as you go through that process, uh, pretty soon you're going to, you need to follow God the same way, God our Father. You know, one boy said, I tell you what, I'm not, I'm tired of listening to my dad telling me everything to do. I'm not going to have nobody telling me not what to do anymore. I'm going to run away and join the Marines. <laughs> How many thinks that he jumped from the frying pan to the fire? And that's how it works. God gave you your parents, and they're not perfect by a long shot, but your parents are to help teach you that sometimes you need to obey when you don't understand it. And then you shouldn't be, you know, God's given this land. God gave the land, and the land has always been theirs, and it's theirs to this day. The children of Israel, they obeyed God for a while, got to stay on the land. Then they disobeyed God, and they were gone from the land for 2,500 years. But they got the land back in 1948 when Israel became a nation. And, you know, then there were some people tried to take it away from them. In about, what, 1967, there was a seven-day war, and they couldn't understand how little bitty Israel fought everybody off because God's on their side. God's on their side. So here's the thing. God says the land is yours, but the duration is your choice. If you're willing, God's going to give you the land, but your ability to stay there is your choice. Are you going to obey God or you're not going to obey God? If you're not going to obey God, you're not going to, let, you're not going to stay on the land very long. But the land will always be there waiting on you because God's always faithful. If God ever tells you something, he will do it. You can count on it. God is not man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said it and shall he not do it? Number, numbers 23 and 19. So he says, uh, cursed is the man who moves his neighbor's boundary stone. Here's the thing. Even in the New Testament, we're given promises and blessings from God. But I'm going to tell you something. The devil will come and take your blessing from you. He'll take your blessing. He'll, take, he'll steal your healing. He'll steal the promises of God from you. He'll do it. He'll move your boundary. Well, I don't know if I can do that. And God said, you can do that. He's going to steal your boundary. You don't need to let the devil stake his claim on what God's given you. Number eight, Verse 18. Cursed is the man who leads the blind astray on the road. Cursed is the man who withholds justice from the alien and the fatherless and the widow. Cursed is the man who sleeps with his father's wife, for he dishonors his father's bed. Cursed is the man who has sexual relations with any animal. Cursed is the man who sleeps with his sister, the daughter of his father, or the daughter of his mother. Jeff talked about that last week there a little bit there. Uh, Cursed is the man who sleeps with his mother-in-law. Cursed is the man who kills his neighbor secretly. Cursed is the man who accepts the bribe to kill an innocent person. Cursed is the man who does not uphold the words 
of the law by carrying them out. All right. So this is what was going on, but it was loud. Millions of people yelling it out at one time. The, the priest in the middle reading the, the passages. Then we get over here to the blessings. This is your side over here. It says, if you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all, all his commands, I give you today the Lord your God will set you up high above all nations of this earth. Amen. Amen. All these blessings will come upon you and your company if you company to you if you obey the Lord your God. You will be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed and the crops of the land and the young of your lively stock and the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks. Your baskets and your kneading trough will be blessed. You will be blessed when you come and you'll be blessed when you go out. The Lord will grant you, grant that the enemies who rise against you will be defeated before you, and you, and they will come at you from one direction, but they will flee in seven directions. The Lord will send a blessing on your barns and on everything you put your hand to. The Lord your God will bless you and the land he is giving you. The Lord will establish you as a holy people as he promised you on an oath. If you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways, then all the people of the earth will see that you are called by the name of the Lord and they will fear you. The Lord will grant you abundant prosperity in the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock, the crops of your ground, and in the lands for to be the forefathers given to you. The Lord will open the heavens. I like this. The Lord will open the heavens and the storehouse of the bounty to send rain on your land in the season and bless all the work of your hands. You will lend to many nations, but you will not borrow from none. The Lord will make you the head and not the tail. Amen. If you pay attention to the commands of the Lord your God... I'll give you this day and carefully follow them. You will always be the top and never the bottom. Do not turn aside from any of the commands I give you today to the right or the left, following other gods and serving them. So this is what happened that day in that amazing uh, place, that valley. They they confirm the, uh, the mighty words of the Lord. They told about these things, and and God blessed them amazingly. One thing I like about the Old and the New Testament, I love how the Old Testament was, it was the Old Covenant. We get to the New Testament, it's a New Covenant. Uh, In the Old Testament, the Old Testament reads like an obituary page. You ever listen to the obituary page on the news? It goes, uh, so-and-so lived so long, and they died. And -and so-and-so lived so long, and they died. So-and-so lived long, and they died. And they died, and they died, and they died. Because the wages of sin is death, the Bible says. He said, in the day that you partake of that fruit, that that forbidden fruit, you'll surely die. And they did die spiritually. So if you've died spiritually, your blessings have to be earthly-oriented. So what God was able to still bless them with in their fallen state, he was able to bless them with something earthly. He gave them some land. It was an earthly blessing, land. This is not something mysterious. It was literal land. They were going to get land. The land is over there. You can go walk on it. 
And those people still covet and believe in that land today. They receive the promised land. Uh, they received certain blessings in the Old Testament. They had commandments. Uh, and so they were under a curse. Uh, in the Old Testament, they're under a curse. And uh, so there's certain blessings that they cannot receive because they're under a curse. Uh, and so you, you see this in the Old Testament, and it, it goes all the way through. When you get to the New Testament, you know something new is happening. Something brand new is happening. You know, there, there's prophecies given of it. There's things, something's transpiring in the New Testament. There's a new covenant. And in the new covenant, it doesn't start off like the, the book of Genesis. You know, just like there was the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. In the New Testament, there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and, and Acts. Some people believe those first five books is like the New Testament, similar to the Pentateuch. It's the very important first five books of the Bible because everything changes in those first five books. One of the things that we find in the, in the book of Matthew, different from the book of Genesis, they're not talking about who died and who died and who died. In Genesis, they're talking about so-and-so was born, and they begot so-and-so, and they begot so-and-so, and they begot so So it's a book about birth. It's a book about new beginnings. It's about uh, being born, and they were 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 born. It's like a, a new day has dawned. It's something great and fabulous. And so, and then we have Jesus coming along, and he's talking about a new kingdom that you can get in. And all you got to do to get in that new kingdom is be born again. So there again, talking about being born again. And that, that this new kingdom, that there's going to be healing in it, and there's going to be life, and there's going to be liberty, and there's going to be freedom in this new kingdom. And, and, and that, that all these past things are going to be wiped away, and that you're going to be able to be filled with the Holy Spirit inside of you. Once again, you're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So that's what the New Testament looks like. But you know, you go, well, they were promised the land. What were we promised? We were promised life. He said, for whosoever believeth in me shall not perish but have eternal life. So what we've been giving, so there's something changing because now our blessings is heavenly. We're going to receive a heavenly blessing. We're going to receive eternal life. We're going to be able to live forever, eternally. We're going to receive blessings from all high Ephesians. We're going to be, uh, receive God's inheritance. We're going to be adopted by the Father through Jesus Christ's blood. All these blessings you read about in Ephesians writing, all these blessings come about, they come about because Jesus came. Jesus is the fulfillment of all that stuff in the Old Testament. He's the Lamb. That was slain. You know, you're going to find that they, as they've done this rehearsing of the curse and the blessing in the Old Testament, and they're, they're being told there's stones, there's visual things all around them telling them, don't break the law. If you break the law, bad things happen to you because you're living in a cursed world. And all you got to do, you know, if you're going to be blessed, follow God, listen to God, do what God says. We get to the New Testament, we find on a s similar hill, kind of reminds you of what Joshua, and by the way, Jesus is the, Jesus is the Greek word for Joshua of the Old Testament. Jesus is our Joshua. Jesus leads us to our promised life like Joshua led us to our promised land. So Jesus is going to be our Joshua.
Jesus is going to take us across the Jordan. Jesus is going to be the ones that help us come into our inheritance. Jesus is the one that's going to help us understand our adoption. Jesus is the one that's going to help us understand that we're holy in him, blameless, without spot or wrinkle in him. That all the blessings of God, all the blessings of our Father is in Jesus Christ. Folks, there is no blessings outside of Jesus Christ. We're already cursed. The only way we're going to get into the blessings is through Jesus Christ. All the blessings are in Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, there was one way when the flood was coming. There was one location, one place you needed to be. And you needed to be in this thing that God allowed Noah to build. And it was called an ark. Jesus is our ark. There comes a time, and it said in Peter's writing, the reason those eight people were saved is because they believed the report from heaven and they got in the ark. I'm telling you, there's a, there's a storm coming again. There's a reality of an end time coming for all of us. And there's only one place you're going to be safe, and that's in Christ. If you're not in Christ, you're going to be doomed. If you're not in Christ this morning, you're already cursed. You're already cursed. It's not like, God, well, I'm going to throw a curse on you. No, you're already cursed. Cursed is a man that does not, that, you know, that they ate of that tree. There's going to be a reverse of the curse in the New Testament. You know how that's going to happen? The reverse of the curse is because Jesus is going to die on a tree. What happened in the garden? They chose the wrong tree. They could have, they could have chose the tree of life, but they chose the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they were cursed. And they did not, you know, they took of the wrong thing. They did not obey God. And so they went astray. Jesus comes and he dies, ironically, on a tree. And the Bible says, cursed is any man that's hung on a tree. And Jesus is hung on a tree to do what? Take away our curse. How do we know that he took away our curse? Because when we get over here to uh, Matthew's writing, Jesus stands up on a hill like Joshua did. But there's no curses read. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up into the mountainside and he sat down with his disciples. There's his witnesses, the disciples. And he began to teach, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are, are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice! Rejoice! Everybody say rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Do you get the picture God is saying, I'm going to deal. I'm not going to rehearse the curse because I'm fixing to take it away. I'm just going to tell you about the blessings you're going to find in me. You're going to find some blessings in me. In the Old Testament, they had to rehearse the curse. It was a reality. Not one person in the Old Testament ever lived by the law. All had sinned and come short of the glory of God. They all was miserable failures. In the keeping of the law. And I just think it's uh, uh, quite amazing. We find 
that what God is doing is, is, is so, so uh, amazing. I want to read in Ephesians 1.3. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. It's not earthly, it's heavenly, heavenly places. I want you to say God's blessed me with all blessings. Here's a few of the, uh, the a picture of those blessings. Ephesians 1, 4 through 5. According as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy without blame before him in love. Having predestined us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. It all began with the choice of God's grace. God chose us. We didn't choose him. God chose us before the foundation of the earth. And he gave us the ability through grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. Through grace. We're saved by grace. By grace, we can plug into the blessings of God through Jesus Christ. God chose to love us and adopt us as his children. If you're saved, you are a child of God. And, and as such, an heir of God's all that belongs to God. That's your promised life. That's your promised life. I would rather have an internal promised life than just some promised land. Galatians 4 and 7 says, Wherefore thou art no more a servant. You remember they were slaves? The word servant, doulos, slave. You're no longer a servant, but you're a son. And if you be a son, then you're an heir of God through Christ. What a blessing, folks. Ephesians 1 and 7 says, In whom we have redemption, how? Through the blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Jesus came to take our place, to die our death, to pay our sin, to dead upon the cross. He took our sin, our shame. He gave us his righteousness. All our sins, past, present, and the future have been dealt with by Jesus on the cross. He removed the curse. Ephesians 1.13, in whom ye also trusted after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit. That's like you've been given the deed. That's your, that's your promise. That's your, uh, you have the right. That's, the Holy Spirit is proof of your purchase. Proof of your purchase. It's like you, you, you've got a, a ticket that said stamp paid in full. It's the mark of the ownership. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Can you say amen? amen. We are saved from the guttermost to the uttermost. And so we see these mighty, mighty blessings that come in the name of God. Here's a subject that I felt led to deal with today while I'm here. Are you living... A blessed life. Am I living a blessed life? What I see all around me all the time makes me wonder, are we living the blessed life? Are we living in the blessings that this thing's talking about? And so I got to thinking about this, and I came across this article this week. 40 million people suffer from an anxiety disorder in the U.S. That's one in five people. You see all them commercials on TV? Do you have anxiety? Do you have this? You do. The commercial comes on every day. 
And so there's been a lot of study about that. Why is one in five people suffering from anxiety, fear, uh, restless, they can't sleep, they can't deal with life? What, what is that anxiety? And there's 130 people can't deal with it per day, take their life. 130 people a day feel hopeless and they end their life every day. 130 people, 130 people every single day. Something's wrong. Something's wrong, folks. When people feel like there's nothing to live for. They paid University of Michigan a bunch of money, gave them a grant to try and figure out the major reason for anxiety. And their conclusion was negative thinking. I wish they'd have gave me that money because I could have told them that. <laughs> the Bible said, think on these things, folks. Think on what is pure and what is holy and what is... I'm going to tell you something, though. A lot of us, we're our own poison. We get up in the morning and we start listening to bad news all day long. And then we go, I don't know what we're going to do. I just don't know what we're going to do in this country. I just don't know how we're going to make it. We're just not going to make it. That's exactly what the devil wants you to do. That's exactly. He wants you to read all the negative, listen to all the negative. I'm going to tell you, the first opportunity for the children of Israel to go to the promised land, it was sabotage. There was 12 spies sent in. Two came back saying, we can take it. We're well able. Ten came back and goes, no, nah, we can't do it. They're so big and they're so powerful and there's giants in the land and we'll never make it. Then, you know, and the other two said, you, you cannot believe how lush it is, how beautiful the fruit is. We even brought back some samples of the grapes. Have you ever seen clusters of grapes this big? But the ten... Something got in between their ears. Something between their ears kept them out of the promised land. And it took them 40 more years. That generation died in the wilderness because it wasn't because they couldn't take the promised land. They thought they couldn't take the promised land. They thought they couldn't take the promised land. Me and my wife watched a show on TV and I, it is not a good show, I'm going to tell you. It's got a lot of bad language, but I'm glad I watched it anyway. I filtered that out, and I prayed after I got through. But it's called Dope Sick. It's on Hula. It's the lie that this nation has been sold by the pharmaceutical industry. You know, the word witchcraft is the word pharmacia. You can do what you want to with that. But there's a lot of stuff. You remember when people used to live to be 80, 90 years old, and they like, I ain't never took nothing. I know a man, he was 88 years old. He had never taken an aspirin. He even had appendicitis, and he said, either God will heal me or I'll die. He lived. I don't know. I'm not suggesting that's for everybody, but there's times. But back in my day, there was real revivals, and people were really healed, and people really walked by faith. One of the reasons, there wasn't no medicine. I remember as a kid, I go to the doctor. Here's an old guy there, and he's got a little disc about that big. He goes, I got a wood stick. Let me see in your mouth. I got some well, cure cream or some of that red-looking stuff. If you, he'd rub that on you. I mean, they almost had nothing. All right, he's got a fever. Take him home and put him under a bunch of blankets and let him sweat it off. But I mean, 
you didn't get a lot of help. Then finally penicillin came along. But there wasn't a lot of help out there. But now they're robbing our nation and the world blind with medical stuff that's off the charts. And folks, there's so much anxiety, you're afraid not to do it. You're like, I don't know whether I'm going to do it or not. I may do it. I'm not going to do it. But it's getting in our head. It's getting in our head. We, we truly don't know what to do. We don't know. You don't ever know what the truth is. Because I can promise you this, this world is lying to us on all kind of levels. There's food that's supposed to be good for you. That's a lie. There's medicine that's supposed to be good for you. It's a lie. There's a lot of lies. And you go, well, we don't know this report. When you see that, if you were to dare watch that, uh, Dope Sick, you'll find out that they, ahead of time, put all these articles in the medical journals that was a lie to convince the doctors to prescribe this and that and the other. The doctors were just doing what they were told. And it was all, they found out it was all a lie. I actually met the doctor that was one that was made in this film. Jim, he's actually the guy that came for that meeting that time here. I did not know that until recently. That come, But here's the thing. Satan operates in the arena of our thought life. It was what was between their ears that kept them out of the promised land and cost them 40 years and a lot of, of grief and a lot of people died in the wilderness that didn't need to die there. It, it's, uh, Satan operates in thought life. So, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh, for, we, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God in pulling down the strongholds. Since we're, our, our gifts are heavenly and they're already staked out for us and they're already given to us by God, you better believe that the devil, all he's trying to do is trying to keep you from staking your claim to the promises of God. God's already given it to you. It's already yours. But the devil's at night. He's reaching over there and moving the stake in and saying, no, you can't get healed. You can't have this. You can't do that. You can't live for God. And you've got to stake your claim. I want to say this real quick. When I was in junior high, the junior high I lived in Florida, they had integrated and there was a lot of fighting going on. They would literally take our class in, in junior high, they would take us to the gym and they would frisk us, pat us down to make sure we didn't have weapons before we went to lunch because there was a fight every day in the gym. Sometimes they'd find billy clubs, they'd find knives, they'd find different weapons, and two or three times they found people carrying pistols. And they would take us in there, and they pretty soon they just finally hired some security guards to be there. That's how bad it was when I was in junior high. There was a young man, though, that I admire. His name, and as far as I knew at that time, I didn't know any Christians in school. And I didn't really know whether I was one totally. But anyway, this guy by the name of Clayton Spivey, he, one day he showed up at school and he had his Bible with him. And he said, I'm here to declare I'm a Christian. I don't care who knows it. I got saved at a meeting and I'm standing for God. Then there's some people that started, you know how you had the book covers, your little book covers you put over your book to keep your books where they didn't charge you at the end of the year because your book was all messed up. And some people, if you didn't have the money to buy your little you know, book cover, you made it out of a paper sack and then you colored on it and all this stuff, made all these designs. How many done that? Kind of speaks how old I am. Well, anyway, a lot of Christians went underground and they carried a secret Bible in that, and they covered it up with that brown paper sack and they wrote it. And so they were kindly taking their Bible to school, but nobody knew yet that they were a Christian. 
They were incognito, you might say. But I'm telling you what, Clayton Spivey, he comes carrying his own Bible and he challenges young people, if you believe in God, stand up. It's time to stand up. We need to stop this foolishness. Pretty soon, another one and another one and another one. Pretty soon, about the whole school was carrying their Bibles. We're having prayer in the hallway. We're having prayer after school. Things begin to change in a powerful way because one, one young man decided he wasn't putting up with it no more. He so touched me. I was helping with the church a little bit and the youth. I was young. But at 17 years old, I got married, and I was having to work real work. And my dad was in the Carpenters Union in Florida, and where he there's this big job, and I was going to try to filter my way, the easy way, to get in the Carpenters Union, but I had to start in the Labor Union, and then as I hung out with the Carpenters, they was going to pull me in, and then I would learn some stuff, and they'd get me in the Carpenters Union through the back door, you might say. And so in the Labor Union there, I got in, and I finally had to pay my money and got in finally, and uh, I went there, and I can't imagine my dad probably thinking about what my first day was going to be like there. Because this is a huge place. It's a huge false fate mine they were building. And uh, the Chinese were paying for it. And it was cost plus. When the job was over, they dug deep hole and buried everything. Tools, tractors, trucks. They set it on fire and burned it. Because it was a cost plus job. I walked on that job. You're talking about a culture shock. On that job, there's so many people out in the parking lot. They had motorhomes. And during lunch, you'd go out and there was prostitution in the parking lot in those motorhomes. On that job. Another thing, they had this, you know, you, you buy one and then you give it to somebody and then you get on this, you know, like a pyramid list. You give a bottle of whiskey and then eventually you get two bottles of whiskey and then you get three bottles of whiskey and then you get 12 bottles of whiskey if you get in this program. And so about half the people out of the job was drunk. Then they were everywhere you went. People I worked with smoked marijuana on the job constantly. It was that kind of scene. But they had these little shacks that you, like a little outbuilding, and that's what you got in when it rained. It's where you ate your lunch at. And I walked in that thing, and everything on the ceiling, all the walls was covered with pornography. Even the tables and the benches was covered with pornography, and they put a plastic, clear plastic, where make sure you could see all the pictures well. And, you know, here I was at that time. I would have received Jesus Christ, and I was going to that every day. And I thought back to Clayton Spivey. And I remember the day, that morning I got up, I prayed about it. I put my, I put my uh, Bible in my lunchbox. When all the people got there sitting in that room, they opened their lunchbox and they started getting their food out. I opened my lunchbox and I had a Bible in my hand. And I sat there and they, oh, what is that? What is that? And I was blankety blank, blank, blank. I didn't respond to none of them. I just read my Bible. I didn't say anything to anybody. I just read my Bible. When lunch was over, I closed my Bible, put it back in my lunchbox, and I went on. But from that day forward, there was no question that I am a child of God. I drew the line in the sand. I'm going to tell you, young people in school, the reason sometimes you have a hard time is you've never let anybody know for sure that you're a child of God. And so the people that's coming to you to go out with you or date you or be your buddy or be your friend, they're not like you because you've never let them know you're not like them. You've been undercover as a Christian. 
If you would make a decision that I'm going to school and everybody in that school is going to know I'm a Christian, I'm not going to be, I'm not, I'm not going to be our, I'm not going to do anything to them, but they're going to know I am a Christian. You'll see a whole, you'll find out there's a lot of other Christians in school and they'll gravitate to you because they admire you that you can stand up and be what you are in Christ. But I'm going to tell you something. I, I had that Bible, and nothing happened that day much. I don't know if it embarrassed my dad that day or what. But anyway, wasn't long after that, a young man was up in one of these silo rubber acid tank type things they were building. We was up in there, and he said, uh, can I talk to you? I noticed that day that you brought your Bible out that you're a Christian. Me and my wife are going through a divorce, and... I just, I don't even know how I'm going to make it. And he wanted me to pray for him. I'm telling you, it's time for the church to come out. And they need to see our joy. You know, it's like, well, you got to give them a tithe. No, you, you should be proud to come and put it in that box. God gave you the ability to get it. And if you grow something this big and you got 10 of them, give one of them to God. Praise God. Amen. Look what God has done. You should look at it like you're going to the fair and you're bragging on, your, on what you've accomplished through God. It, it's, it's something. But it's time that we, for if you walk in the flesh, you will not, we do not war after the flesh for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God and pulling down the stronghold. There's a lot of strongholds today keeping us bound. We're bound by fear and anxiety, what people think, what they'll do. And we find casting down imaginations. My temperament is to automatically feel like everybody's against me. My temperament is I'm not a real outgoing person. I really am not. I'm very introverted. And a lot of times I go in a room and I'm like, you know, I like that person's t probably talking about me or that person's against me. And when I work for other people, it's like I wouldn't go up to the boss. They're just kissing up to the boss. So I would stay back, and the boss probably didn't think I even liked him. But I was kind of that I would reject you before you got a chance to reject me. It was my temperament. And some of you have got that temperament, and your imaginations are running wild, and you're rejecting people all over the place. But, you know, God helped me understand my temperament and helped me cast that off. You know, I had to get to the point I'd walk in a room and I'd go, those people are probably talking something good about me. <laughs> they probably wasn't, but I convinced myself that. It made me want to go up to them and say, hey, what y'all talking about? Probably something good. But I mean, you have to train yourself because that's the nature of the beast that we are born in this carnal world. But cast down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Here's the reason why. If you do not take your thoughts into captive, you don't take your thoughts captive, your thoughts will take you captive. The children of Israel, they did not take their thoughts captive, and so their thoughts kept them captive for 40 more years. How many blessings are you doing with that right now today because the devil has staked your, his a little stake on your blessing and you're not living in the blessings of God and you, you're imagining that you can't have this and this is not for your day and it's not the right time and you're just living under the privilege, uh, beneath the pr privileges of God. The first battle for the promised land started in their mind. The first battle that we're going to have in this world today is your mind. He tells you that. All through scripture. The direct, 
The direction we pursue in life is guided by our thoughts. Some of you last night thought, well, in the morning I'm going to church. So I need to lay out my clothes or I need to get ready. I need to set my alarm. I'm going to church in the morning. Some of you have got like, ah, let me see how I feel this weekend. Some of you settled that account a long time ago. You said, for me and my house, we're going to church. Every week we're going to church. I remember my dad says, like, me and my house, we're serving the Lord. I knew if it was Sunday, I was going to church. If it was Sunday night, well, I was going to church. If it was Wednesday night, I was going to church. And if there was a revival, I was going the whole week. He didn't care what the school was doing. See, he settled the issue way ahead of time. You could settle a lot of stuff today that won't even come to fruition until next year. You say, well, for me and my house, this is what we're going to do. It, it stops all the daily battles when you do that, by the way. The direction we pursue in life is guarded by our thought life. What you think today, the Bible says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. What are you thinking today is what you're going to be tomorrow. And so we see your thought life will transform you. How do we change our thought life? It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed so we can be transformed. How do we be transformed? By the renewing of our mind so we can renew our mind. We can quit thinking certain thoughts that we've been thinking. We can quit thinking fearful thoughts. We can keep watching, keep, keep watching stuff that brings us down every day. And go, I'll tell you what, I don't care what the Congress does. I know what God's going to do. Amen. And I'm telling you, both sides are about as crooked as a snake. Amen. God's the only one that's going to save this place. And so, renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Let God renew our mind. I'm going to tell you, Saturday, I really had a time around here just praying. And I'm going to finish up with this. The worship team can get ready. A passage came to mind yesterday, and I I read it. And uh, I want to share it with you as they're getting ready. And the children of Israel, by the way, they didn't keep the promises of God. They were put out of the promised land for 2,500 years. And so, and now they've got so bad that none of them had heard from God, not a prophet or anything. And they have not heard from a prophet or anybody for 400 years. So we find ourselves in the last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, the last page. Uh, And he says, I, the Lord, do not change. So God never did change. We change. God never changed. God's faithful all the time. So you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed ever since the time of your forefathers have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you. God said, if you'll return to me, I'll return to you. But you ask, how have we, how are we to return? And he says, will a man rob God? You, yet you rob me. But you ask, how do I rob you? He says, you rob me and tithe and offerings. You remember what we were talking about in 27th chapter of Deuteronomy? Same thing. They were supposed to be happy about bringing that to keep them reminded. All their blessings came from God to start with. So he tells them, he goes, he says, uh, he said, under, he says, you didn't bring your tithes and offering. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you. Because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse and there may be food in my house. Test me 
in this, says Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out such a blessing that you'll not have room enough to, for it. You remember that where it said he'll open the heavens and the rain would come and bless their crops? Very similar to Deuteronomy 27 there. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields and will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Then all nations will call you blessed. You think a lot, all nations are calling America blessed right now? For yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. You have said harsh things against me, says the Lord. This got to me yesterday. You have, you have said harsh things to me. Yet you ask, what have we said against you? And it, this will get you right here. You have said it is futile to serve God. There's people, oh, there's no, I don't really care about going to church. It's not important to go to church. It's not important to gather together. It's futile to serve God. I'll have to agree with you in a way. Because right now, we're not living in the blessing. You know, there's as many divorces in Christian circles as there are in the world. What difference is there? We're not living any better than the world. We're, just, we're under as much as the curse of the world, it seems like. Because we're not following the blessings of God. He said, you're saying it's futile to serve God. What did we gain by carrying out all these requirements and going about like we're going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. We call these other people out here in the world blessed, but we're not blessed. You know, they're the blessed one. Certainly the evil doers, they do prosper, and even those who challenge God escape. Those who fear the Lord talk with each other. The Lord listened, and the scroll of remembrance was written in, in his presence concerning those who fear the Lord and honored his name. He said, they will be mine, says the Lord Almighty. In the day when I make up my treasured possession, I will spare them just in compassion. Verse 18 said, and you will again, I love that word again, everybody say again. You will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who don't. I'm going to tell you, God put that in my spirit yesterday, that God is saying, there's been a long time you go, well, it don't even do no good to serve God. God said that day is fixing to be over. Those that follow God's going to be blessed. Those that don't follow God's not going to be blessed. Those that follow God's going to be under the blessings. Those that don't follow God's going to be under the cursing. They will be a distinction, saith the Lord. There's going to be a distinction. And he says, get ready, get ready, get ready. It says in chapter 4, surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and ever evildoer will be stubble. And that day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. But for you who revere my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. I was thinking about that after 400 years of darkness, after 400 years of not hearing a word from God. I watched a little video, and there's a revival going on in Nashville. And there was a guy, they rolled up there that was in a wheelchair. And he had Parkinson's disease. He was in his chair, and he's shaking, you know, like people with Parkinson do. And they wanted this minister to pray for him. And they went and got the minister. I think it was his wife or somebody. They had him pray for this man. That man was in that wheelchair, and I was watching. I was curious, you know. And all at once, 
he started moving his arms down in that wheelchair. Then he, he stood up. And you know how people with Parkinson, their gait is kind of off. It's, he, he started walking across. And pretty soon he was walking like that. And then he was walking better. And then pretty soon he started running across the stage, back and forth, running back and forth across the stage. And the people in the crowd was going crazy. They were jumping up and down and rejoicing. Unbelievable. And tears was just running down my eyes. There was a time years ago, it's probably been 30-something years ago, I saw revivals like that. I saw people get healed. I was one of them. I was born with a speech impediment, and I was healed instantly. I know good and well God can heal. But I love this. He said, it's coming again, he said. Those who revere, reverend my name, the son of righteousness, after all these years of darkness, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. And you will go out and leap like calves released from the stall. And he said, when this happens, the, 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 the hearts, uh, he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the father. And that's, the, you get down to that, it's the last verse in the, the Bible there. But I got to thinking about that. After all these years of darkness, I say, well, what is, what's the, I mean, it's kind of out of, what's the calf got to do with it? It's going to be like a calf let out of the stall. And I was thinking, how many feels like you've been shut in for a while? Don't go here, don't go there, wear a mask, stay in, stay apart, stay separated. We're separated more here than we used to be. Stay apart, you know, don't get around people, stay shut in. You know, you just feel like, you know, we can't be ourselves anymore and you're shut in and it's dark it's been a long time since there's been real revival in this nation I'm going to tell you long time a long long time since there's been revival and so I was thinking about well what's this calf and I went and I looked up a video on YouTube about what a calf looks like and what it is the story is that you put a calf in the barn for the winter and you feed them and take care of the, the, you know, I'm not, I don't have a farm. But you put those calves in the barn for the winter. They come a time, though, in the spring, you let the calf out of the barn. And so I went to that video. Show the video, Jeff. And I saw this calf. I didn't long enough. I've been in darkness long enough. Haven't heard a clear word of God long enough. I'm tired of being down. I'm tired of being depressed. I'm tired of all of this. I'm ready to be like that calf. Praise God, it's time to leap in the house of God. And so this word picture, he said it's, it's exciting, it's here. The curse of the Old Testament is almost over. The Son of God, He's coming. He, the Son of Righteousness is coming. And when He comes, there's healing in His wings. There's healing. There's righteousness. People are going to leap for joy. How many grew up in church where they danced a little bit? Wasn't just the Pentecostals. I know some Baptists used to dance. I want you to stand this morning. God says, return to me and I'll return to you. It's kind of sad when a calf looks happier than we are in the house of God. Yeah. We talked about this 
this morning, this morning in the first service, there's some people started jumping up during prayer time. See, that calf's been shut up about as long as he can take. He's had all he can take. Some of you have had medical issues, and you've had about all you can take. Some of you have had anxiety and depression, and, and you're bothered by a lot of things, and you're at the breaking point. You've had about all you can take. I can't take it no more. I can't take it anymore. And God is opening the barn. He's opening the windows. He's pouring out His Spirit. He said, try me, test me, and see if I won't open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that you're not able to receive. Try me, test me, and let me prove to you that I'm the son of righteousness and I've got healing for you. I'd like for our prayer team members to come forward at this time. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we pray that we become more excited than a bunch of leaf, leaping calves for you. God, that people go, it's great, it's, it's time to rejoice and be glad. Rejoice in the Lord is where our strength comes from, that we would rejoice. And again, I say rejoice and rejoice no matter what we're going through, that we would rejoice in the Lord because his name is worthy. His name is to be reverent. His name is to be honored. And today, Lord, we rejoice in you. And God, we pray anybody that feels shut up and shut in and shut down, that today they find their victory in Jesus. Amen and amen.